When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents... I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. That slacker barista. I start getting full of emotion. Now we're going to build this new bridge here. Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No, I can't. Betches Up Podcast. Like, how are people surviving? Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaras. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group to, to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. How we feeling? How we doing this week? Elise, you're busy. You're on the move again. I'm busy. I'm busy. I head back out to LA at the end of this week for the premiere of the CBS showcase, which is what I was filming um, earlier this year. And um, if anyone listening to this wants to watch the sketch show, it premieres. We have a virtual premiere um, Wednesday and Thursday next week. There are a couple of different signups and you can watch it online. And um, then it'll also just live online and be available for anyone awesome. to watch and see. So I'll definitely be posting about that on all my social media. The links will be available to you. Definitely check it out because we made something really cool and funny that I think you guys Congratulations. Like. Exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting. That's so cool. It's going to be on Paramount Plus, right? I, I think – I. I don't know. I know it'll live know. online and everyone can watch it. I don't know if it ends up going to any of the streaming services mm-hmm. or what. I mean, that would be awesome. Um, but yeah, it's we're doing like a little premiere event next week, which is mm-hmm. why I'm going back out to L.A. And okay. I bought what are you a cool to it? pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm wearing the dress I wore to the Betches holiday party. Oh, perfect. Nice. Yes. And then I got a cool pair of shoes. So you guys keep an eye out on social for these shoes. When you see I'm them, excited. you'll say, there they are. They're cool. What a thrill. Very exciting. Yes. Uh, well, my week, Amanda, I know you've been asking. I've been telling you about the slippery slope I fell down. Uh, I got tricked. Uh, the patriarchy is a lie. I started. Everyone's like, watch Andor. Watch Andor. It's so good. The of course Diego. If something if Diego Luna's in something, I'm gonna watch it. Absolutely. He's the sexiest man alive. Well, guys, started watching Andor. I'm like, well, what the fuck is going on? Then I started listening to Star Wars podcasts. Then I'm like, okay, well, I gotta fucking wa- have I seen a star like so now I'm like <clears throat> a Star Wars. I love this for you. No. <laughs> I, then I started watching a Rogue One, and then I'm like, "Well, I gotta start from the beginning." And then I'm like, "Here we fucking go." Here and that's how go. Marvel got me. 
And yeah. Honestly, but- it's great timing. There's not much. We're about to be in the dead of winter. We need yeah. things to occupy our time to not get Listen- bored and terribly depressed. Listen, Gilded Age ain't back. I'm waiting for succession. Yeah. Where the fuck is Severance? Like, yeah, we're kind I wonder, of in a like, dearth did- of shows right now. Danny and I actually, in this uh, in this desperate state, we started Emily in Paris, and we are oh, now goodness. almost finished oh, with Emily telling. in Paris, See, which is I've never done a that, completely so. insane show. But um, I am enjoying watching what is happening. I will say, so I'm also surprisingly like never been a Star Wars person. I think mm-hmm. my fantasy preferences skew like past and sword not mm-hmm. like future and laser you know what Got i mean it. but even though star wars does play technically in the past you're I guess, a star wars rising yeah yeah whatever um but one time i so i watched the like original ones once and then i watched force awakens and this was around the time when rogue one came out mm-hmm and Danny and I had gone on a trip to Denver, and so we partook in what Denver has to offer. So we got really stoned. I love and we this trip. I love this. We, um, your your stories about that trip that was my favorite because you went on. We a really got too stoned tour. on that trip in a bunch of different ways. But we went to Rogue. <laughs> one of the things that happened is that we went to Rogue One thinking that it was a sequel to The Force Awakens, which it is not. It is a completely no, different story you. and separate. World and truly, Danny and I were watching this movie, turning to each other, being like, "Where are all the characters from the no. first movie?" And it's I was a like, different story. "They rebuilt the Death Star. What's happening?" Like, yeah. I was truly so confused during this movie, and then I found out that actually, it just was not a related film at all. Yeah, it's um, separate. Um, and again, by watching, I mean, you know, before bed, mm-hmm. I'm turning it on. It's ambient TV. Yeah, it's ambient. I'm I'm falling asleep. I'm waking up. Oh my god, this and that, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, guys. Uh, also, listen. I watched Alona Holmes. That's how it's <laughs> part one and part two. And guess what? It's good. Watch it. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, Add it to the you list. You know, Millie Bobby Brown like solving mysteries. It's about feminism. Uh, there's like British women. Uh, suffragettes doing martial arts. It's stupid and crazy. It's fun. Watch that. All right. Great Rex all around. <laughs> I want to start today with some uh, some big girl boss moves. We love those. We love those. The voters of Arkansas made the bizarre decision, in our opinion, to elect Sarah. I mean, I don't want to speak for either of you, but in my opinion, to, discuss, to elect A Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah. Within hours of being sworn in as the state's first female top leader, Huckabee Sanders began the very critical work of, of the state of Arkansas, which for her included banning the use of the term Latinx, Latinx from official use in the state government. Another thing that seems like a solution without a problem, she signed the interesting thing about, I mean, there's a lot going on here. She also signed orders delivering on campaign scare tactics like prohibiting critical race theory and like, uh, I'm going to promise to stall s- funding. But people that watch her who are like, she never brought this up. So this was just like a very strange, you know, hustle. Interestingly, the 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 order in the order, Sanders refers to the statistics, two statistics that Latinos in America don't use the term as justification for her ban, calling it ethnically insensitive. And the order uh, also refers to like how the sounds don't quite work. But she offers no alternative. So I don't know, gals, is she really the the speaker for the Latin A community by banning Latinx that only 3% of people use? What's going well, on? <clears throat> here's the debate about that issue. And this is why I feel like, again, this I feel like it's kind of smart for her to do this because 
the real debate is that Spanish language is very gendered, right? It's it's like la casa, el this, el. So uh, in response to that, progressive Latin people uh, in Latin America, and then it's spilled over to the United States, have tried, are, 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 are trying to, you know, rectify that by making gender neutral Latin words. So instead of saying Latino or Latin, Latina, it's Latinx or Latine, because again, that's gender neutral. Now, there are many, many conservative Latinos that don't want the evolution of any language or any kind of change or think it's ridiculous or nobody uses that and stuff. There's a lot of them that think it's stupid. Um, I feel like that's a direct correlation with the people who think this is stupid or dumb or whatever, and the people who support Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And as we talk about the multi, like the growing population of the right, like the multi-ethnic right, this is some stupid, and, and culture wars, this is some stupid um, thing that is going to mm-hmm. excite, yeah, like fuck Latinx or whatever. Meanwhile, again, like, you know, it, it has progressed. And in Latin America, in Mexico, in Colombia, they are using these, you know, in progressive spaces. They are, you know, because how does a a, a Latin person describe themselves if they're non-binary mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. So they are having these conversations. This is something that's growing and already happening. But, you know... We're getting like kind Sarah of the Huckabee bucket. Sanders is in those in those rooms with yeah. her snaps. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is just interesting because, like beat. Millie said, like there is a genuine debate in the Latin community about exactly what is the gender neutral term that we want to go with. There are progressive spaces. Like the term Latinx was invented by people in Latin America. It's not like a white invention, but. No. There are a lot of Latinos. I uh, see. It's like I keep changing. I don't even know mm-hmm. what word I want to use yet. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people who rightfully, I think, point out that it doesn't like work naturally in Spanish. Latine has been presented as a potential alternative that kind of solves that problem and works a little bit more with the Spanish language as we understand it. So there is like a genuine debate that's being had within the community about like, how do we evolve the language? Do we want to evolve the language? What term is it? How invested are we in this debate as opposed to all the other things facing this community? Like, right. But um, I agree with Millie because there is a very loud segment of the Latin community, again, that like really doesn't like Latinx. And were you really, saying, really Millie, doesn't. that – and that – do you think that like overlaps with uh, c- conservative Latinos in the – yeah, well, because maybe right, there was the, like the, a the fundraiser issue. for her that was like, "I hate Latinx. Will you please probably. ban it?" Yeah, probably. But I feel like what, what at least is like, there's two different sanctions. There's one that's like, actually, grammatically, this is not. And then there's the people who like don't believe in pronouns, quote, yeah. quote unquote, and yeah. don't want it to change at all. What I'm saying is, there's probably somebody who don't like. She's using the language of yeah, interesting. the people who are like, oh, this is grammatically incorrect, but it's probably people who don't respect other people's pronouns in general and wouldn't fucking use oh, like right. any These gender are the people saying stuff. that like they, them, I can't ever possibly use that because. <laughs> exactly. 
Well, I also, I see it a lot online in like articles, like, like, let's say the New York Times posts a tweet that has the term Latinx in it, like they use it in the headline or whatever. If you look at the replies, it's Mm -hmm. all like Latinos who are on the side of don't change it. We hate the term. That Mm -hmm. term sucks. Like whatever. So like they'll flood the replies of anything like that. So it is an interesting play for her to make if it is a play that she's actually making to try to get conservative Latinos on her side. I also think that seems like she just wanted to sign sign a bunch of pieces of paper. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, just like the right with anything. Like she did her clown makeup. She needed a lot of pictures. And yeah, like uh, Stacey Abrams in an interview said, you know, because some, you know, I think uh, one time she was on a uh, Pod Save America and, um, you know, they were like, what do you say to people who say like nobody uses these terms? And it's just like, which we're talking about Gen Z, like when we're talking about people who use these terms and don't and all this stuff, like, yeah, it is like pretty like uh, politically divided, these terms and these new things and all that stuff. So, so. Uh, I that's why I'm saying there is probably a strong correlation between conservative Latinos and people who are saying because again the at at its core conservatism is no change they want everything to stay the same so having discussions about evolving language to uh in, you know include non-binary people is not something that's on their agenda right. another another thing that I was thinking about I saw online recently and they have the map of Arkansas you know, when she's talking about, you know, specifically critical race theory, there's a map of Arkansas and the map of like the red counties and the blue counties. Um, and they like overlap that map with the areas of Arkansas that had the most slaves and have the most black populace. And it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And like hundreds and hundreds of years, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's basically like if you live in this area, that's the blue area. You know, and then if you live in the uh, outside of the, you know, so it's just interesting that it's like literally the effects of slavery are, you know, still in 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 play, you -hmm. know. And again, it's interesting. I mean, many states aren't these red and, and blue. It's just, you know, blue and under hostage or, like, yep. or voter suppressed or they because there's a lot yeah. of blue counties too so it's just interesting that the blue counties like and and to have somebody in charge that doesn't want to even acknowledge or talk about that history when it's just so clearly even in the maps is just fuck sarah huckabee sanders and she can't yeah just. yeah i also think there's an element to this of like Republicans are really on the border situation right now. I mean, there also is genuinely a lot going on, like a crisis at the border in and in our immigration system that has been like decades in the making. But Republicans are on this right now. I also think this is just a quick and easy way for her to virtue signal to them. Like, and also I'm against Latinx and Latinos and honestly Mm -hmm. immigrants in general, but this is like just kind of a way for her to like tip her hat to that that's going on. I don't know to what degree migrants are arriving in Alabama, but Arkansas and Arkansas, sorry. 
Yeah, I mean, it is similar to the criti- yeah to the critical race theory of it all, where it's like they're just hooking into something that they think a few people might be genuinely concerned about. Like a few people that are sympathetic to them might not like Latinx, not because they genuinely are like, I don't think it makes sense for the language or for our community because they're just like, I'm a Republican and it's anti-woke. Where it's like the, mm-hmm. the actually the woke people are like, yeah, we we we're trying to fix it. We're we're working on it. It's nothing. And like literally, critical race theory is not being taught in schools. And <laughs> we will be it's happy to address not. parents' concerns uh, about that. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy healthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. One more political headline today before we get into more pop culture, because Congress is uh, very much in its main character energy this week. You see these sort of comparisons going around fairly frequently, and sometimes I don't think they're that meaningful, but this one is quite striking to me. According to Business Insider, under the Republican majority in the House of Representatives, this House of Representatives will have more men named Mike chairing committees than women. They're likely to be (laughs) considerably more. There are likely to be 22 committees. Six of them will be chaired by a man named Mike or Michael. Just three of them, three of the 22, will be chaired by women. That is for context because, you know, Democrats, like the Congress isn't amazing at this overall, but that's down from seven during the last Congress under Democrats, so down dramatically by by half. 33 of the 222 Republicans who are now serving in Congress are women. This is like historic for them. And 91 of the 212 House Democrats are women. So like three three times as many. Like I said, I don't always think that these comparisons are super telling. But when it's six out of 22 committees is, just, and is a guy named Mike and half as many are women, 
Yeah, I mean, it's strange to me because I feel like Republican women in this Congress have made incredible strides at being completely fucking nuts and yeah. uh, <laughs> just being absolute loons. <laughs> and so, and so you would, I really feel like they would be able to get some committee chairmanships out of that, you know, mm-hmm. the, MG, uh, some of the top. Some of the top crazies that they have are I know. women. They've out crazy. Yeah, they've gone too far. <laughs> MTG can't chair a committee, right? Yeah, she's got, she's, she can now. She can do whatever. I think Kevin, that rule Kevin, is over. Yeah, Kevin can yeah, put I her think, wherever wow. she wants. Wherever he yeah, wants. She's got Donald Trump on the phone. We've got Lauren Boebert screaming about whatever. Like It's kind of surprising that they aren't putting more and I didn't recognize any forward uh, yeah of the names they're um, not doing it for Stefanik Elise we couldn't even get Elise in there I guess maybe it's more maybe it's (laughs) maybe it's just as valuable to her and them if she stays as like the head of the caucus like she's the head of like the Republican caucus hold on Amanda you're telling me that the anti-choice party of this country the party that doesn't believe in pay gaps the party that wants to defund teachers doesn't want to pay nurses appropriately. The party of Latine. <laughs> the party of Latine doesn't want to empower women to be leaders. <laughs> like this is the news I, I am here to break to you all. I, you know, and I guess this is. I mean, you know, let's. I'm. I'm sure there's more white people than people of color on the fucking committees too. Like this is what when you make a deal with the devil. Like mm-hmm. they don't. They're not fucking. I guess this is yeah, just Yeah, Jim Jordan's a not going to step aside. He's not going to exactly. step aside. Like these Republican people, whether it's women or people of color or queer Republicans, they get into these things, but they're just used as tokenism. They're not, you, you know, they'll love to put an, uh, Marjorie on some, you know, I'll speak at all the things, this and that, be mm-hmm. the poster child. But when it comes to actual power, you're not good enough to get it. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's the fucking problem with, Repu- you know, again, not that Democrats are that much better, but if we're doing math, which this is a lot of math <laughs> and so my much. liberal arts <laughs> brain can't, but 30, 91 divided by 33, that's almost three times as much. So Democrats are a lot, at least three times better than Republicans are at yep. getting women representation. So I don't know. I'm yes, just like yes, and women should have chaired. Women should have ch- shared more committees last time. It's obviously on our side. It's just a pipeline issue because men got in there sooner, and then they feel entitled because of seniority. I mean, we do. You know, <laughs> Diane Feinstein's a- the oldest bitch in the Senate, but there, yeah. there's we've had some time in there. But um, yes, another another fascinating aspect of the 118th Congress that I can reject, and I feel that I have extra leverage to reject this as as a person wedded to a Michael. There are enough of them yeah. in power. They have said enough. They have frankly said enough. They can okay. stop. What do you think is more impressive, Michaels or Matts? Because I hate a Matt. <laughs> I think all Matts are terrible, but Michaels are getting up there too. Yeah, I don't know. I But not John's. John's. I think Matt's I, are more impressive because, and I'm sorry, but it's just you do see a lot more biblical Matthews than you see, you know, Michael's, you're definitely seeing more Catholics, but in terms of the evangelicals, they do lean on a Matthew. And so for that reason, I, I would I'm inclined to I'm inclined to to say Matthew. Matthews, but I do think I mean, we should I do think John might take the top spot. John might take the top. Okay. Yeah, John or James. What about Gwen? <laughs> what about Gwen? <laughs> to Gwen's. You know, I like the name Gwendolyn. 
I do like Gwen. Gwen, like Gwen. Gwendolyn, Guinevere. Gwen Stefani, notably not a Japanese name. However, in a new interview with Allure promoting her cosmetics line, Gwen Stefani discussed her connection to Japanese culture. That's a very generous way to say what she discussed. As we know, Gwen Stefani has borrowed heavily slash severely appropriated Japanese culture frequently throughout her career. And I have to say, I got a pretty jarring refresher. Like, I definitely knew what she did was appropriation and icky. But to go back through in my, like, adulthood and my knowledge now and to see her, like, bring those four women anywhere she went like they were her oh, the Harajuku like, girls they yeah weren't and they didn't have either. real names she wouldn't use their real names no. and they weren't allowed to talk I th- truly she named them like Bippy and Zing I'm like it oh was my like God, music love angel baby crazy yes yeah. their, names, their names were the name of her album <laughs> yes oh it's terrible yeah it's actually like it is jarring to go back Gwen really was the queen of this shit. She had that bindi on. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You said you said Japanese, and I'm like, I wish it was just Japanese. No, it, it goes Chola. way deeper. It yeah, was she yeah. was trying to be Mexican at a point. Definitely trying to be black. Uh, the bindi, it was everything. It, you know, Italian in that <laughs> one music video. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. She, she seems to hold her Japanese uh, connection extra close. So the writer of this piece is Filipino-American. She asked Stefani if she had learned from any of the criticism from that period. I'll read her quote directly. She said, if people are going to criticize me for being a fan of something beautiful and sharing that, then I think that just doesn't feel right. That just doesn't feel right to Gwen Stefani. It should be okay to be inspired by other cultures because if we're not allowed, then that's dividing people. Right. So that's your pretty typical ignorant celebrity answer to cultural appropriation. However, that is not even the worst part of this interview because Stefani reflected on a childhood trip to Japan. It seems like her first connection to Japan is like her dad had business trips there and that made her Japanese. (laughs) She said that her first trip, among her first trips to Japan, she just thought to herself, oh my God, I'm Japanese and didn't know it. And that seems there's like a sort of pause in the conversation. Then she says again, I am, you know, and This wasn't just a – the writer sort of writes, you know, I gave her many opportunities to clarify what she meant or sort of elaborate on that connection, but she just kept saying, I'm Japanese. And at another point in the interview, she referred to herself as a little bit of an Orange County girl, a little bit of a Japanese girl, and a little bit of an English girl. Uh, She went on to maintain that her relationship to Japanese culture is just – she's like, it's innocent. It's productive. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this. I'm a super fan, and that is beautiful. And to close it out, you know, the writer points out, I envy anyone who can claim to be part of this vibrant creative community, referring to the AAPI community, but avoid the part of the narrative that can be painful or scary. So Gwen Stefani doubling down on being Japanese. Support or suppress? (laughs) supplant Um, (laughs) just like she does her identities um Gwen Stefani isn't close to her 60s and she's I mean I think we forget and sometimes I forget and the thing about Gwen Stefani too about aside from the there's this um BuzzFeed article from 2018 that I really enjoy and it's just going in a deep dive of like what Gwen Stefani's songs are about and what we think mm. Gwen Stefani's positions are mm-hmm. and what her actual positions. And basically the thesis of the article is that Gwen Stefani's a lot more conservative, not very like pro-choice, very like traditional and all of that. But she became, because of the nature of her career, became this like outlier for like women's rights and also like progressive, you know, and like, mm-hmm. oh, well, she's including Japan, you know, but again, it is very dated. Like we have 
t- moved on. Well, first of all, yeah. So she's not um, really into like any real progressive or cutting edge thoughts or ideas. She just was doing that for money. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of like her view of, you know, like, appreciating cultures and stuff, you know, she's so deep in it and she's so like stagnant that, yeah, like she has this very 2005 view of, you know, borrowing from other cultures. Oh, I think it's beautiful. It's not racist because I love being and I have such great memories and a good connection. And when I go to Japan, people are love me. And it's just like, that's not really, you know, again, when you have Asian American people, you know, the only time they've ever seen, you know, sometimes I, I can imagine that, that, uh, that journalist, Mm-hmm. You know, excited to like have a real conversation with Gwen about like maybe that was the first time she saw her like represented in in music, and it's just a Japanese girl that can't say anything. And I'm I also wonder if it was interchangeable Japanese girls, mm-hmm. like they would change mm-hmm. them based on the probably gig, you know they weren't yeah into her yeah yeah so it's yeah. like yeah I don't know anyway well that's kind of what's interesting is like um. What Gwen Stefani's trying to lean on here is a is a genuine thing people can say, which is like, mm-hmm. I enjoy this culture. I wanted to learn about it. I find it beautiful. Like there is, you know, at the heart of the appropriation debate is this question of like, when does it bleed over from appreciation into appropriation? Like what's being a global citizen who is interested and open to learning from other people from around the world and trying new things and what's you know, harmful. And I think when we have four silent prop women who are coming with you to events and you've named them angel and lamb and (laughs) nouns. (laughs) Yeah. And, and bibbity bobbity boo or whatever, like that is obviously in the appropriation category of, this entire conversation. And so I feel it's, you know, Gwen Stefani is clearly not like really engaging fully on this issue, but like, I think there's room for her to be like, yeah, you know, I really enjoyed Japanese culture. I find it really beautiful. I would not have done that. I I don't think I should have, you know, used those women in that way. Or like, we thought we were having fun at the time, but in retrospect, I see what people are talking about. Like, there's yeah. a way to do that, but obviously, that's she's not interested. In right? It seems that. like she's saying, like, I'm a, I'm part Japanese, I'm part this. Like, it's sort of like a a state of mind, but like, it was not a state of mind when they were rounding people Japanese people up and putting them in caves. Couldn't be like, oh, I'm not Japanese exactly. today. Yeah. Like, that's what I think. That's what the writer is saying. And this is what a lot of people can't appreciate. I'm curious if it ever happens to you because I don't know what show I was watching recently. I think it's one that Millie and I both watch. And this dumb, I think it was a housewife, a new one, and she or like a friend of, and she was like, well, I just have to dance because I'm Latina. <laughs> and the guy was like, oh. are you? And she was like, no. And I was like, it made me think like, I don't know. I wonder like, do people ever say really weird shit to you guys? Like, oh, I've I feel Latina sometimes. Said- I've I've seen that sentiment said before of like there's a Latina woman inside me. Like, Does that still blah, blah, happen? You know, that kind like, of, do people do oh, that? Oh yeah, people. Yeah. I, pe- I know that that has been said to me, and I've seen that sentiment expressed okay. on like yeah, like on reality TV shows. I feel like a lot of like <laughs> you can't fucking, just like say, Love Island girls I'm will Latina. say that. Yeah, it's this. I mean, but I remember like people used to like 
post memes and stuff that were like, inside, I'm a black woman. Like, that is a thing that white people do or like, I'm actually a gay man. Like, like yeah, white yeah, yeah. white women have been doing it's a, that. It's a spectrum that's still long, even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a long, long time. I guess the point I was trying to make earlier is that Gwen Stefani, she's not like somebody who's in culture now and maybe in like shit now can yeah. have a more nuanced response. Gwen Stefani's with Blake Shelton yeah. making fucking whiskey in the middle of Oklahoma <laughs> and having drinks with Paul Ryan. That's what I'm saying. Like her her view of what what people view her as and her reality is completely different. So it's important to like understand that she's never purported. So of course she's going to have those views. And like she's proudly claiming Orange County because many parts of orange county are very multicultural mm-hmm. but she's not fucking doing that shit now she's again in the middle of a yeah, farm yeah with with blake shell in making whiskey and doing whatever and again like i'm uh, you know i'm not surprised but yeah i'm sure she thinks it's you know as opposed to probably people in her perimeter who are like oh saying actually outright mm-hmm. terrible racist things about mm-hmm. different cultures she's like well at least i appreciate them because i'm part this and <laughs> right I'm part that. and that's what these people think too these people think that they're being open-minded or cool by saying you know um yeah, i don't like, see color I, it's I like kind color. of that vibe exactly but it's just yeah. like again reducing the humanity of people and then also like yeah there's a bunch of people who can't choose to like turn off and on i mean that i guess and that is the the debate about cultural appropriation too yes it's like kim kardashian can take out the butt implants and you know not and then not have her hair in braids and stuff but you know at the end of the and she'll still she'll be treated like a white woman but like so many of the people that she's borrowed from and profited from this thing like don't have that choice Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. You get fast free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. 
Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. And I think that brings us really nicely into the next discussion, which like sort of relates to these issues, or we can talk about if we think they do. So black women tell the Washington Post and other outlets that they have had a harder time finding the unique hair care products that work for them in recent months. And this might be due to the reality of these products on social media, particularly TikTok, where massive white influencers have touted the product. Uh, I went to search this project. Is it? It's. I think it's Myel. Do you know Millie? Mm-hmm. Myel Organics so. Rosemary Mint Oil and all the TikToks that came up were 21-year-old white women <laughs> talking mm-hmm. about this product and then like one black woman sort of explaining what's going on. So basically like a bunch of big white influencers have said this product works really well for them, especially one that's like really on the come up, Alex Earl. And as a result, it's appeared to become less accessible to the people it's designed for, which is black women. That's what this hairline was literally designed for. Black consumers have expressed concerns that the newfound popularity could move the brand to change the formula, as they've suspected others have done. So the Washington Post article I read referenced how the company Shea Moisture made like super like whitewashed um, ads after their products Mm -hmm. became a bit more popular. And there were suspicions that I I don't know if it was ever like really proven or if they changed it back that the formula had changed because it just started working differently for for people. And they're like, did they change this to work better for, for white women? Monique Rodriguez, the founder, says that that's not happening. Um, they were just acquired by P&G, which I don't know if is a good sign or a bad sign in terms of, you know, people being able to access the problem, the products they need. It seems like a supply chain thing, like as long mm-hmm. as they can figure out and everybody can have access, it shouldn't be an issue. But um, I think, you know, this is the question is like, is it okay to purchase products that weren't made for you? Does that question get more complicated if it's because the products were made for people who have less products available to them? Um, is it just a matter of like, you know, the wide availability of that product? I mean, is there, is there, what potential is here, there here for, you know, something problematic? Yeah, I, it's like, it's comp, it's so complicated because there's like one thing about being a trend and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this thing works. And another thing about like, this is, you know, um, this is something that has worked for, for black women and they have, you know, and it's also like, I mean, just knowing, you know, my experience, like it has even become easier to get black beauty products in mainstream stores, in CVS, in Target and all that stuff, because before you could only get this kind of gel or this kind of stuff. And now they have whole sections of natural hair and curly hair and all that. And, um, you know, it's really interesting. There's a lot of conversations to be had, especially like with beauty, because mm-hmm. um, when, you know, like when the mar- when people on the margins have things that work, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, and I say margins, like the everyone benefits, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, like I think that's why, mm. you know, there's a lot of conversation even about feminism, about like feminism that focuses just on white women is, is not going to be helpful to a black trans woman. But if we focus on black trans women, you know, whatever, then that will help liberate everybody, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think it might be the same for beauty products of like, 
when these things become popularized and all that, you know, um, it might work for other people, but it, it is like tricky because it's like, uh, is this a trend or is this a consumer thing or is this like a cultural thing, you know, and it has been the, the rosemary oil has been really effective for back, you know, with hair growth and stuff. So I, you know, there's been a lot of like, um, there's been a lot of, you know, and, and I brought up when you, you talked about this in the text, I know I'm talking about like 18 different things. That's what we do. <laughs> um, you brought up in the text, like this thing, and it's like something on black Twitter and even on TikTok, like as a joke, a lot of black women are like, oh, I heard that this helps white hair fall out or like this is damaging to white hair because they still want access. Or like, you know, there's a lot of conversations about oxtail. Like oxtail used to be this really cheap, um, affordable meat that anyone can get, especially, you know, in the Caribbean and black people uh, could get very easily. And now it's getting, you know, it's being trendy to eat it and it's getting really, really expensive. This like core thing, you know, and especially like my elk products are like, supposed to be this cheaper, affordable product for black women and it's getting expensive and it's hard to get, you know? So it's just like, there's a lot of issues and I think we're still figuring it out, you know, on like, what is a trend versus what is stealing from appropriation? Yeah. What is harmful? Uh, and all of that, but I will. Yeah. I'll say like, okay. So as a white woman with curly hair, I have like found myself kind of come up against this issue in my personal life in that it's like, you know, I, I wear a silk bonnet to go to sleep. There's questions on TikTok about like, is that appropriative or whatever? But it it's tough because something interesting that came up a lot on when I was doing the Roast of Your Teenage Self podcast with a lot of white women that I interviewed with curly hair mm -hmm. is that growing up for us, like you were just not taught as a white woman. If you have curly hair, you are not taught how to take care of that curly hair. That's not what's taught to you. What's taught to you is to straighten it and to blow it out and to use products to make it straighter or to straighten it and then curl it yourself. So I think, I think kind of with the advent of TikTok and these tutorials, white women starting maybe like 10 or so years ago started finally like learning about curly hair. Yes. And where did that knowledge come from? It came from black women. Black women have it's it's knowledge that they have like acquired and perfected for a really long time. And now I think there is this weird feeling among like white TikTok influencers of that they've discovered something and it's like, you didn't discover it. You're actually tapping into a wealth of knowledge that exists and it does work for your hair. And like no one who finds something that makes their hair look good is going to stop, but like using it. Mm -hmm. So how do we use it in a way that acknowledges where it came from, mm -hmm. that uplifts the people who did discover it, that mm -hmm. were, that, does good things for the business that's making it while not alienating the consumers. Like these are really tough questions because um, people want their hair to look good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like, And it's also that, something where it's not like, you know, it's, there's such a spectrum of things. Cause it's like, it's not like, you know, Ozempic where it's like now people can't get their medications because yeah, some people yeah. are using them to lose weight. It's like, 
But when you literally need legislation in some areas to to let people not to, so that black women don't get fired over certain hairstyles, yeah, you know, then yeah. it, then it comes a, like a little bit higher. So it's just sort of an interesting conversation. It's like if the supply chain, I, it was just so interesting to read the context of like. No, we're not like concerned about the formula changing for no reason. Like there's there's precedent for brands completely yeah. well, changing how they're oriented once because like you just look at it's fucking capitalism. You look at the population. Yeah. The United States is a 10% African American, 10% black and like, you know, mostly white. Yeah. At least you just re- you articulated what I said uh perfectly, which is that um yes, when we as society start accepting black women's hair naturally mm-hmm. and it and again it you know it affects like when black women are able to openly speak about their methods of hair care it does help white women and and other people like you know not necessarily just white women persian you know indian who like have curly hair that don't know what you know what i mean like that is an effect of that being popularized so that's like that is what i mean about like um, but, you know, again, we still have legislation to get it against it. And there's a lot of people who view, you know, things like braids and or natural hair or froze as like unprofessional or unkempt or, free, you know, so those, there are these negative stigmas of when. So that's why I say when we when when um, mm-hmm. black women on the margins uh, are able to be accepted and to freely like use whatever and talk about it then everyone becomes uh, free and liberated. Mm -hmm. And the formula thing is a little bit more complicated because it is capitalism. I do have, again, a background in beauty, especially like quote unquote ethnic beauty. And what happens is sometimes these uh, like people like Shea Moisture and Carol's daughter and maybe Mayel, I don't know. Um, they start their business themselves. No one wants to invest in them at first because they're a black business. They and they they do local distribution. They do everything either from their house or whatever. And but their dream is really to like be mass produced or to just focus on the creative. That was the that was the um case with Carol's daughter was that she just wanted to be in charge of creative and stuff. So she sold to L'Oreal. And the thing is when you sell to PNG L'Oreal, um, they do change the formula to make it last longer on shelves and like all of that. So part of it could be a better mass appeal. Part of it could be that like avocado oil after four months goes bad. So, you know, you can't use avocado oil anymore. You have to use some fucking chemical, you know? So there's like a lot of, Different issues. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I mean, as we speak, I mean, this week they got acquired by Procter & Gamble. So I think that's why it's raising those questions. And it's like, it can feel like, why have this conversation when it's like a black founded company is like on the up and up and making money moves. But for all of the same reasons uh, you said, and it's different when it's specific product versus, you know, suddenly a bunch of white women being like, oh, I love Hailey Bieber's look, the dark, the dark lip liner and the brown lipstick. Well, I also... One thing that I just wanted to say to Millie's point that like, you know, sometimes this information, like the this knowledge that black women have acquired benefits pe- beyond their own community. I had to be like six or seven years ago at this point. I got alopecia areata, which is actually what Jada has. Mm-hmm. I had two spots of it on really? my head, one in the back of my head, one behind my ear. Yeah. It was, it was like a really crazy like thing that happened really fast. And the best information that I could find about hair regrowth, what had happened, how to like 
I mean, there was a two pronged approach. I like had to get like shots in my head and stuff too, but all of the like hair regrowth tactics that I found that were specific to alopecia areata came out of like the black female community. And I couldn't, I like, like that information was so, so, so helpful to me. So I, I guess my thought is like, again, yeah, how do we like, respect where this knowledge comes from, understand that it may have broader applications, but also like make sure that the people who came up with these ideas, who are making these products aren't left behind. That's so true. And to make sure that if a product that wasn't made for you does not work for you, that is not the product is not defective. Like mm. that's the that I think that's the the last concern mm. that unfortunately not everybody is as appreciative as Elise. And there is going to be some people that are like, why did this make my incredibly thin, fine blonde hair greasy? And it's like, well, yeah. and give it a bad review. Like people might go to a restaurant because they saw oxtail on TikTok and they hate it because they're not used to the flavors. So I think that's you know another potential area uh, for this. But like. You know, there are ways to navigate these types of things happening if people are thoughtful of all of the context and willing to learn. Yeah. And I think, you know, even within um, even within like products for black, you know, it just yeah. sometimes like, you know, I like my hair to be a little bit more voluminous. So some some products really do a curl definition or maybe shrink or this and that. So, again, it's it's about. It's, it's not even that like every product is supposed to made for, be made for you or even every product is going to leave your hair the way that you want it to leave. So that's mm-hmm. also the thing. But but people do that all the time, even totally. Like, yeah. Um, with like I just saw a rest like a guy leave a review on a restaurant because he didn't like that they were playing hip hop music. so much. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like, you yeah. know, it's like, well, was that restaurant made for you? Like, all that, you know, mm-hmm. it's exactly complicated. Exactly. Totally. Well, I think the only uh, resolution is a makeup free weekend for all of us (laughs) and our listeners. That's our show. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaras. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.